there is a polling organization that each year will poll the evangelical church. And they do a pretty good job of defining what evangelical is. And the people that they're asking are those that we would consider ourselves to be a part of. And one of the things they ask them is to agree or disagree with certain theological statements. And every year when I see that poll, I am always troubled. Because there's always areas where it seems like as a group, as an evangelical group, somehow we struggle with understanding the truths of God's word and what God's word really proclaims. Some of the questions deal with about becoming a believer and having our sins forgiven. And the question becomes, is there any other way other than Christ? And the percentages of those that say, oh, sure, there's other ways, is 20, 30, 40% sometimes. Questions about the Holy Spirit really seem to mess people up. Is the Holy Spirit a person, the third member of the Godhead, or a force? And again, it's sad how many times people will say it is a force. I guess we've been watching Star Wars too much. Another area that people get really, really messed up with is baptism. Now, part of it is the struggle of the church as a whole because there are different ways that we understand baptism. Some of it is that we just haven't taken the time to really understand it. One of my favorite movies, because of the music, is a movie called, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? (laughs) And there's a wonderful scene about baptism in there where they really mess it up. about we got bigger fish to fry the preacher said all my sins is washed away including that piggly wiggly i knocked over in yazoo i thought you said you was innocent old charge well i was lying and the preacher said that that sin's been washed away too neither god nor man's got nothing on me now come on in boys the water is fine <sighs> the theological errors in that little clip. 
One of the errors is that the very act of being dunked underwater and brought back up somehow brings salvation to the individual involved. If you watch the rest of the movie, and there's a little language in it for those of you that would not, you know, want to watch that, but you'll come to understand that the three of them have just broken out of prison. And the, the two that are baptized are convinced that now the law has nothing on them, that the law cannot take them back and put them back in prison because they've been dunked under the water and brought back up. Back up. No. There's a lot of wrongness in that little clip, but the problem is too often we have some of those wrong kinds of mistakes. Now, we understand that salvation is the washing away of sin. We understand that when a person places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when they accept what God has done in sending his son to die on a cross, that yes, our sins are forgiven. Yes, we stand before God with no condemnation. That the eternal consequences, the wrath of God poured upon those who have violated his holiness, that is removed. That is true true but if you've knocked over a piggy piggy let me try it again piggly wiggly and yazoo you still have to face the consequences temporally as we're involved in sort of this examination of our constitution as we're involved in taking a look at what we as a church want to do in terms of our leadership practices and our practices in general One of the issues that comes up is the issue of baptism. And this morning I want to take just a few minutes. We're not going to take a whole long time because we've already had a full full service. But just to come to understand a few things about baptism and what does God's word teach about it so that we have a clear understanding. You see, every follower of Jesus must comprehend the significance of this Strange act to the world. When the world looks at baptism, when the world watches, oh brother, where art thou? When the world sees that kind of scene, they see something very strange that they're not used to seeing. This idea of getting dunked in water. What's it all about? In fact, I was doing history of the church that I was raised in. It was part of a a project when I was in college. It was First Baptist Church of Allentown. It was founded in the mid-1800s. Their very first baptism was held in March in the Jordan Creek, right underneath the Hamilton Street Bridge, if you're familiar with Allentown, And all of the city folk gathered on the Hamilton Street Bridge to watch these crazy Baptists break the ice and be baptized. We need to understand what's it all about. Why would these people be willing to to go into that frigid water? Why would people in Iran Iraq, North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, be willing to be placed underwater in this way. 
knowing that they could die as a result of that decision. What's the significance? Well, when you examine baptism, what you find that it was very common in the first century, many groups baptized. Many groups had this idea of the sacred bath, of of the idea of being placed in water as a symbol of what was going on. And believers' baptism, as we understand the New Testament, as we understand the culture, as we understand what is being taught by the New Testament writers, we understand it as an act of declaration. It declares something. It announces something. It proclaims something about me and my relationship with the Lord. You see, we understand, and this is meat and potatoes, this is boilerplate. If you've been around the church any length of time, you've heard this. So this is one of those reviews. And I liked what Jean had to say this morning about communion. It's kind of a reminder and to set us aside, to remind us. Remind us what that baptism was all about. Remind us if we have children, what we are moving them towards. Remind us that if we've never been baptized, why it is so important. But Jesus commands his followers to be baptized. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We understand that the key verb in that passage is make disciples, make followers. Be about the process of bringing people to the place where they are ready to follow Jesus. How do you do that? Well, that's the subordinate clauses, the explaining clauses. You do it by baptizing baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything God commanded. Do you see two parts there? One is the idea of baptism, a declaration. The second is that which is being declared. The choice to obey what Christ is teaching. Now, when you understand baptism, baptism in the culture, you understand that lots of different groups baptized. If you were Jewish, there's indications that at the time of Jesus and definitely afterwards, that those who were becoming Jewish, who were Gentiles, and choosing to become Jewish, they would be brought forth into a ceremonial bath. They would be placed in the water. And there was a sense of cleansing, and there was also a sense of initiation. You were proclaiming yourself to be Jewish. Qumran, that's where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls from. At least we think. If you were to join that group, you had to go through a ceremonial bath, a baptism. There was a group that worshipped bulls. They had a baptism. The only difference was you weren't baptized in water, you were baptized in blood. But that idea of going through this ritual involving usually water, was part of that culture. And what was significant in that culture 
is baptism in a person's name. Whose name were you identified with? What follower were you being? And so the importance wasn't so much how much water was there or the type of water that was there. We're going to look at that in a few moments. Whether it was hot or cold, whether it was running or still, whether you were dunked or poured. I mean, those are, we're going to talk about that in terms of the significance of the symbols. But what was essential was what followed. That I am baptizing you in the name of. Because that's identified you as a follower of that person. In the Gospels, we see at least two baptisms. We see John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance, to prepare for God's kingdom that was coming. And we see Jesus' baptism. In the book of Acts, there's an interesting passage that shows us the importance of what group I'm identifying with. It's found in Acts chapter 19, and Paul is on his missionary journey, and he comes across a group of men. And these people are teaching about the coming of the Messiah. And so Paul comes up to him. It seems he's aware that there's something missing in their teaching. And Paul found disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That is the sign of being a part of the new covenant. That is a sign of being part of the body of Christ, the universal church, is that the Holy Spirit takes residence within you. That was the new covenant, the new promise. They answered, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, and this is the NIV translation, then what baptism did you receive? Literally in the Greek, it's this. Into what baptism? Into whose baptism? They answered, John's baptism. Paul said, John's baptism was, baptizing, was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were, noticed the phrase, it is so important. They were baptized into what? The name of the Lord Jesus. It is the name. Now in the New Testament, there's two declarations that are used. Matthew 28 says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was often in Jewish context. Why? Because the Jews were struggling with the fact that is this Jesus God? And so they were declaiming themselves that they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that yes, this is the one. For the Gentiles, the issue was not could Jesus be God? That wasn't a big issue. But it was whether or not this Jesus was the Lord. Not Caesar. Not Nero. Not the, the, the Caesars of the day. But was Jesus the one who is Lord? Of your life. So they were baptized. And in the name of Jesus. Everybody who heard that. Understood. 
that when they were being baptized into somebody's name, they were declaring themselves a follower of that person. Now, one of the problems with baptism is we have a confusion. We believe that it is simply a declaration of salvation. It is not that. Yes, a person needs to be saved before they're baptized. We'll see that in a moment. But it is not just that. It is a declaration of discipleship. It is a declaration of commitment. It is a declaration saying, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want y'all to know it. In fact, it's even better, all y'all to know it. That's why it's a public declaration. Now, we tend to do it in the church. We have one of those little portable baptisms that we roll in, our baptistries that we roll in. When I was down in Louisiana, there was a health club that one of our church members owned. And what I loved was we would do our baptisms at the health club. Man, did that get looks. When First Baptist, back in the 1800s, did their first baptism outside in the, the Jordan Creek, Creek, River, whatever it was, it was a public declaration. And they were letting everyone know, I'm a follower of Christ. And I seek to do what a disciple of Jesus would seek to do. So clear in the first century, we have kind of lost that because we're so many centuries away and it's not part of our culture. But they understood in the first century that baptism in a person's name is a pledge of commitment to the teaching and practices required by that person. Now, salvation comes by faith alone. A person can be a believer without being baptized. How do I know that? We talk about the thief on the cross and the fact that he died before he had opportunity to do that. And, and we can discuss all of those realities. But in the mind of the first century person, if you were, if you were a follower of somebody, of course you were baptized in their name. It was just part of what you did. You wanted people to know that you were a follower of, of that person. It became so serious that by the second century, you could not be baptized until you had gone through all the theological training, until you had spent a whole bunch of time showing that you were a follower of Christ and you did all of this proving and then you could be baptized. I don't agree with that. And you look at the New Testament, when a person becomes a believer, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they were baptized to proclaim, now I'm a follower. It's one of the reasons why, as a church, we've made the decisions, when the elders have talked about this, that we're not going to baptize children. We want them to be old enough to understand that this is not simply a declaration of salvation, that they can understand, that a child can commit to. Children four and five and six can talk about their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and as they grow older, they come to understand it. But how can a child five, six, seven years old commit their entire lives, 
to following Christ. That's a big commitment. So we're saying, let's wait a little while till somebody's 11, 12 years old where they can understand that commitment. When you begin to look at baptism, we understand this. Baptism is not only a demonstration of faith in Christ. It is also a promise of faithfulness. A person who's a believer in the first century, of course they would be baptized. To proclaim that they're a follower of Jesus. One of the things that I love to do, I love to do weddings. And when you have people standing up here, and they're at the end of the wedding. We all know how it ends, right? I will say something like, um, by the power vested in me, by the state of Pennsylvania, by the Lord Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you husband and wife. What's the next phrase? You may now kiss your bride. Can you imagine if a couple stood up there and said, Ew, I'm not going to do that. That's terrible. I don't want to have people see me kissing them. We'd be going, man, there's something wrong. Trust me, I've done plenty of premarital counseling before that point. That's not going to happen. But just as we'd be shocked by that, that the early church would be shocked by anyone who was a follower of Jesus. They wouldn't be baptized to let people know. It was that central. Now, secondary to that, some symbolism developed. It isn't primary. The first purpose of baptism was to declare oneself a follower of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. Make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to be obedient. We, we can understand that that's the primary purpose of baptism. But some secondary ideas began to develop. Because all believers are united by baptism, baptism became a symbol of certain things. Baptism became a way of demonstrating certain realities of the Christian's relationship with Jesus Christ and with the Father. And so as you begin to read, you understand that baptism must also be understood as a representation of what already exists. Baptism does not change you. I tell every folk, every person that gets baptized here at Grace, is one of the things that I will say to them. When you go into the water and come out, the only difference is you are now wet. Because something must exist first before baptism to have any meaning. And what exists first is that relationship with Jesus Christ and all that comes as a result of that. Of being identified with his death and burial and resurrection. Of being cleansed from our sins and being washed of our sins. And yes, as the guy in Oh Brother, Where Out Thou? Though his theology was a little bit messed up, he understood that if a person is a believer in Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven. They are cleansed. And baptism is a wonderful way of demonstrating that. In Colossians, Paul uses the idea of baptism and talks about it like circumcision. 
where circumcision was a declaration of being part of the old covenant. Baptism is a declaration of being part of the new covenant because the Holy Spirit takes indwelling of us, uh, indwells us, takes residence within us. Baptism demonstrates that. And so as you go through the New Testament, baptism in the New Testament, first of all, never precedes salvation. Now, you read about childhood baptism, you read about particularly infant baptism, and when you read church history, that doesn't seem to have existed for the first at least century and a half after the coming of Jesus. It developed much later, and it developed because baptism became a means of being cleansed of your sin, not a symbol of it, but a means of it. And as the teaching concerning you know, original sin and that a, a baby is born with original sin and all those kinds of things began to develop in the church, the idea was that baptism was necessary to cleanse that, necessary to proclaim that child as part of the covenant. But that's not in the New Testament. Now, some look at the passages where it talks about Cornelius and his entire family was baptized, or the Philippian jailer and his entire family was baptized and say, see, there must have been children, infants there. Well, you don't know that. And that's really pushing it. Baptism comes after salvation as a declaration that I'm a follower of Christ. When we have an infant in our arms, that infant cannot make that promise. Baptism is an external representation of an internal reality. We don't have time this morning, but read Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. When the Pharisees come to be baptized by John the Baptist, and John says, you're just hypocrites. There's nothing inside that the external baptism would demonstrate. First, show that repentance. First, have it existing. And then this becomes a sign of the reality. Baptism was used to illustrate certain aspects of salvation. Among them, our identification with Christ, our cleansing from sin, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All those things came to be a symbol of baptism. Or baptism became a symbol of those things. And here at Grace, we talk about immersion. When you're baptized, you're dunk under. In fact, we have that little baptismal that we bring out, and we can only do about eight people at a time. Because if we have more than eight people, there's not enough water anymore in the bottom. They don't go underneath because they keep bringing the water out. Well, okay, immersion is a good indication of that. Immersion illustrates the death and resurrection of Christ. Immersion illustrates well the the total cleansing that comes in our relationship with God. Immersion also best meets the general sense of the word baptizo. The word means to dip in or under or to die or to immerse or to sink or to drown or to bathe. That's why we do immersion. It's It's a good indication, a good representation of that. But this is where the change comes. Though immersion best illustrates those symbols and best fulfills that word, the act of baptism, not the mode, was what was significant. 
and what is significant. There's a little book that's part of the early church fathers. We believe it was written around 100 A.D., maybe 120 A.D. It's a little book called the Didache. It means the teaching. It is not scripture. Although some churches thought it should be, there was no apostolic connection. There was no way that they could demonstrate that it was from the apostles, and so it never became part of the New Testament. But there's some interesting teaching there. And as the writer of the Didache, we don't know who, he, who that person was, writing, he describes first century baptism. This is right after Jesus. This is right after Paul and them. And this is what he says, or they say. And concerning baptism, baptize in this way. Having reviewed all of these things, that means the teaching of Jesus, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, first in running water. But if you don't have access to running water, baptize in other water. And if you are not able to baptize with cold water, all right, then baptize with warm water. But if you possess neither, pour water on the head three times in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, for a long time as a church, we would say that if you were a believer in Jesus Christ and wanted to become a member of the church, you needed to be rebaptized by immersion. But what we're saying is, you know what? Though we as a church will teach that. And that is the only practice that we will have as a church. We're saying we recognize that there are other ways that people are baptized and they meant it as a proclamation of their following of Jesus Christ. So when you read the new constitution, it changes this little way. Under the qualifications, remember, it will say this. Baptized following their profession of faith. We still believe in believer's baptism. It's something that declares that a person is a follower of Jesus Christ as an act of obedience to Christ. Grace Community Church's practice is water baptism by immersion in accordance with our full statement of faith. But here's the change. Prospective members baptized in another church as a believer by another mode will not be required to be baptized again. Baptism is that means by which we declare we're followers of Christ. And with that in mind, there's sort of three groups of people this morning that as we gather, some have never placed their faith in Christ. We understand that. We've been in that journey. We've, we've walked those times of what is this all about and is this really true and did Jesus really come back from the dead and is this legitimate teaching? We've all walked that. We've all had those questions. For that person, legitimately come and ask the questions. And if you want to come to that place where you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as Gene said, talk to anyone that comes here. We'll be glad to share how a person become a follower of Christ. Some are followers of Christ and never been baptized. And I just encourage you, make that public testimony. Yes, there are many other ways we testify of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But the one that was commanded by our Lord 
is baptism. And then with those that are baptized, here's a question. How seriously are you taking that commitment that you declared when you were involved in those waters? Do you remember how important it is to have Christ as the center of your life? And in dependence upon his grace, and his empowerment, and his presence, to make the choice to live out a life that demonstrates our desire to follow him. Baptism is an important part of the believer's life. It declares us as followers. It symbolizes the work that God has done in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. And it reminds us that we have committed our lives to be followers of him. That's why people will die and face death because they understand how central Christ is in their life and they want others to know. It's an important part of our lives. Father, thank you for the teaching we find in Scripture. We pray that we would be obedient, all of us. First, by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we invite anyone who isn't certain of that to talk and to ask the questions and to to continue to to search. Father, for those of us who are believers, we, we choose to proclaim that through baptism, and Father, remind us of just how significant you are in our lives and how much we long to be obedient and to follow you in all that we do for your glory and for your kingdom. And we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.